Welcome to another edition of the Second and Goal Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host, back here with your co-host, Chris, the fantasy expert. And in today's show, we'll be going over second half stars for fantasy in 2020. Basically, the guys who played a lot better in weeks 9 through 16 than they did in weeks 1 through 8. So basically, the guys who improved a lot during the second half of the fantasy season, whether it was due to schedule or situation change or they seemed more talented. We'll discuss all that. We got 14 players to talk about today. No mailbag, no news this time. If you want to send us mailbag questions, you can email us. Uh, the links are to the email and the webs and the podcast Twitter are in the episode description, so you can just find them there. And yeah, that's I mean, so we'll just be getting right into second half stars. Chris is back. Uh, Chris, how are you doing on this fine Friday when we record? Uh, I'm pretty good. My school got out um, two days ago, so that has been very fun for me. I'm on summer break. Calvin is not on summer break, so <laughs> it's nice. I get to in enjoy that rub it in calvin's face a little bit right calvin yeah today we were supposed to record the podcast and in my head i was thinking we would record it in the morning and so i was already recording and then i realized that calvin had school so we had to wait until he's out of school so. yeah <laughs> anyways probably. here we are mm-hmm. that was kind of tough but yeah we got 14 guys to talk about today we're recording it a couple days early on a friday because uh for scheduling purposes um yeah make sure to follow us on twitter at sgf pod at calvin underscore sgf at chris underscore sgf um just yeah email us with questions tag our show with questions you can also just tag us on twitter and we'll answer them um and yeah that's pretty much it so let's get started we've got second half stars to discuss we got two quarterbacks five running backs five wide receivers and two tight ends and we'll start at quarterback and this guy was a guy who finished as quarterback one in 2019 and came back on that with a less than stellar season and it was lamar jackson and lamar jackson was the he was good but he was the quarterback 10 on the year in 2020 then but i mean weeks 9 through 16 he was as good as ever i mean he climbed surprisingly only to like the quarterback eight but he averaged 24.5 fantasy points per game in weeks 9 through 16 and i guess he only played seven games so otherwise he probably would have been top five top four top three but yeah chris lamar jackson really had a great stretch in the second half of the year and that was partly due to the defenses he played like listen to the schedule weeks 13 through 16 he had Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, and the Giants. He didn't play against Pittsburgh in week 12, week 12, and his other second-half opponents were Indianapolis and New England, which were tough, and then he followed that up with Tennessee. So pretty good schedule, and that was due to his uh, – that, that, was, that was what partly caused his ascendance. But what do you think about him for next year, though, Chris? What do you think his value is going to be uh, for next year? Yeah, Lamar is one of the most interesting fantasy players because, I mean, he really doesn't – play or at least what we've seen like the, the your classic quarterback has been a pocket passer who gets his points through through passing touchdowns and three yards to the air but Lamar Jackson's really brought in this new kind of era of quarterbacks where they're running and at times it seems like they're getting more rushing touchdowns than they are passing touchdowns and so I think that that just makes him a really intriguing prospect obviously in most fantasy leagues the value of a rushing touchdown is far more than a passing touchdown or well not far more but in most standard leagues, two points more. So I think that that just boosts Lamar's value because he's going to find the end zone a lot through his legs. I definitely look to him to finish closer to what he did um, in the second half of the season just because I think his rushing ability. Now he's also got some really good wide receivers, Rashad Bateman and uh, Tylen Wallace coming in. I think that's going to help him out a lot. There are a lot of things going for going good for Lamar Jackson going into this season. And I, I think that this whole op- offense is going to be able to operate nicely once they – get some wide receivers to open up the playing field a little bit. 
Yeah, and Lamar Jackson, yeah, he, you're right. He This offense is going to operate nicely, and I expect his passing uh, status to increase a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, Lamar was a lot different in 2019, that's for sure, and for fantasy. Uh, and, I mean, not as much as a player, although defenses did figure him out a little bit. But the main thing in fantasy in 2019, which we've all heard this narrative, was the touchdown rate. He had he got above that 9% touchdown rate, that 9% threshold, which is where it's just – quarterbacks are bound to regress and as such he was like one of he was the most overdrafted quarterback in the um in fantasy drafts he's probably going to go as around a mid-tier qb1 this year he's probably going to be when i finalize my rankings maybe my quarterback five or six and i think that's where he belongs because we also have seen the ascendance of guys like josh allen and kyler murray to join the ranks of patrick mahomes deshaun watson even dak prescott if you want to put him there which i think he belongs in that conversation and so that's why it's gonna be tough for Lamar to finish as quarterback one, it's definitely possible. And it's really interesting how this year there's like six different guys that could probably do it. But uh, I mean, just because of that, Lamar has sort of sunk to the mid tier to slightly upper tier range in terms of ADP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, in some leagues, you're going to be able to find him at a value. I, don't, I think there are going to be a few people that aren't going to be willing to trust him. And I mean, they're right in that he struggled a little bit at times last year. So uh I mean, there's definitely a little bit of concern, but his rushing ability just makes up for everything. So I'm really excited about what he can do next year. Yeah, and just to clarify, Lamar is actually the quarterback seven in weeks nine through 16, not the quarterback eight, because I was looking at the overall rankings where Devontae Adams was ahead of him, which is just crazy because Devontae, there's a guy you can talk about as a second half star, except he was also a first half star. So he's not in the mm-hmm. He's just an all around star. Yeah. A guy who actually finished ahead of Lamar Jackson weeks nine through 16 in one more game is who we'll talk about next. Kirk Cousins of the Vikings. He showed a great rapport with Justin Jefferson. We saw that throughout the year, starting in week three in Jefferson's huge breakout game against the Tennessee Titans, where he went for like, I think it was three touchdowns and a hundred something yards. But Kirk Cousins, I mean, he also benefited from a nice schedule. He played Detroit in week nine, then Chicago, which has sort of become a slightly tougher matchup, but it's not as tough as it used to be. Then Dallas, Carolina, Jacksonville. Those are all amazing. Tampa Bay is pretty tough. Then, like I said about Chicago and then New Orleans is just kind of average. But then I guess in week 17, he played Detroit. But that's a, a schedule that it's very easy to take advantage of. And Cousins did. I mean, he didn't score less than 17.1 fantasy points per game in any game in weeks 9 through 16. He scored over 20 fantasy points per game in all but two. So he was a stud. And he actually, I mean, if you streamed him, he was available on a lot of waiver wires. He could have helped you win a fantasy championship. And that kind of went under the radar. Ugh. There's one, one time every episode that my computer makes that noise. But, um, yeah, but, oh, sorry. I lost my train of thought. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he was solid, but he's just always going to – he doesn't have that rushing upside like Chris just talked about. The quarterbacks who have rushing upside are the best for fantasy football, and that's something that's widely known by now, and we obviously talk about it a lot on the podcast, and everyone on every podcast talks about it. So it's well known. Kirk Cousins does not have that rushing upside. He does not run the ball that much. But because he had two great wide receivers and because he was playing really well in the second half of the season, he was able to ascend to that QB six spot. So where do you think he goes, Chris, next year? Do you think he's going to be a value? Um, In my opinion, I think that I actually, I like him to kind of fit into that QB two. And I think that you shouldn't be drafting him as your QB one, just because his, I think his ceiling is, is definitely capped because of his limited rushing ability. 
But, I mean, he's got some great receivers there. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen is still playing well. And then they added uh, Smith-Marset uh, in the draft in the fifth round. So, overall, a, a lot of a very solid receiving group that definitely boosts his upside. But I think for now he's kind of relegated to that QB2 role just because of his limited upside. So, But go ahead, definitely. If he's falling just a little bit, go ahead and pick him up. He's a really nice backup. And there are going to be times when – depending on the matchup, you're going to be able to definitely go ahead and, and put him in your lineup. I'd love for someone to go Tannehill and then Cousins. That was one of my big combos from last year that ended up, as you guys saw, working out really well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that you could really enjoy having those two. And I think just he's definitely in that group of getting that second quarterback. But if you don't have a top quarterback already, you could definitely get a little bit of playing time on your roster too. Yeah, and I mean, it's with quarterbacks, their matchups are very, very dependent on how they play. It's very, it can be quite easy sometimes to predict what quarterback does well. So if you pair Cousins, I mean, he's probably going to go outside of the top 12, which is a nice spot for him. If you pair him with someone like Joe Burrow or someone like Brady, someone like May, even someone like Baker Mayfield, you can be fine with Kirk Cousins and Baker Mayfield as your quarterbacks using the late round quarterback strategy, not paying up for these guys. And you can get Cousins, honestly, probably even near the last round in a lot of drafts. But I mean, it's easy to predict, though, because his easiest matchups were his biggest games. He played Detroit in Week 17. That was his biggest game of the entire season, although we're not counting that in fantasy. His next biggest game was against Carolina's pass defense, which really crumbled. Or Actually, his next biggest before that was against Atlanta, also a bad pass defense. Then you see he was against New Orleans. That was his next biggest. Okay, they're an okay pass defense. But then Dallas. It's like four of his five biggest games were against terrible pass defenses. So you can know when these, for the most part, with some exceptions, when these guys are going to have breakout games, which is really helpful. And that's why it can be like, even if you see Kirk Cousins' season totals and you're like, I'm not that impressed with that. It still doesn't matter if you get another guy who can start for you sometimes week to week, because you can just plug in the guy who has the better matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's go to running backs. And there were some interesting ones on here. The first running back that we're going to talk about is Jonathan Taylor who, as we know, won a lot of people fantasy championships. He was an absolute stud in weeks 9 through 16, the running back 6. Played only 7 games, averaged 16.3 fantasy points per game. Was helped by a great schedule. His schedule, I mean, he in, week nine, in weeks 9 and 10, that's the funny part, he wasn't even good. Like, he struggled against Baltimore and Tennessee. He wasn't getting touches. Week 11, though, against Green Bay, got 22 carries, 11.4, uh, or that's actually standard fantasy points. Um, but he got 22 carries, 13.4 half PPR points against Green Bay heading into the bye. Or not into the bye, heading into a game against Tennessee where he didn't play. But then week 13, mm-hmm. he played Houston, which was great. It was great against Las Vegas in week 14. Great against Houston again in week 15. But the good part that we saw, and I mean, in week 17, he had like 38 fantasy points, something crazy. But in, the good mm-hmm. thing that we saw was that this wasn't just based on a schedule. Because in week 16 against Pittsburgh, 18 attempts, 74 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't really get targeted much in the passing game. His touchdowns definitely helped him, but he was not, he averaged four yards a carry against the best defense in the league. That's really, really encouraging. And that can show you how Jonathan Taylor is ascending into the elite ranks of running backs really, really quickly. And uh, I mean, it, it was good to see that one game where he could prove it against a good defense. I think he can beat anyone. So I'm not too concerned about that schedule for him. I think he's going to be great next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just it's it's an accomplishment in itself to uh, come out as the top running back from that stellar rookie running back class, but to ascend to that super, I mean, ascend to an elite top tier running back, at least in the second half of the season is really impressive for a rookie. 
he's still continuing to develop. He's got a developing offensive line. There's, I mean, still some moving parts of this Colts offense. We saw a new quarterback. And so there's definitely going to be some turnover, but I think that Jonathan Taylor is going to be a consistent top 10, if not top five fantasy running back moving forward. Really excited about his chances in the future. Um, I was high on him last year, and I'm definitely high on him again this year. He just yeah. he just proved that every all my questions about – I mean, I, I thought he was good, but I wasn't 100% sure. I wasn't committed to him. I'm definitely committed to him now. He showed he has the talent to be a top NFL running back. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a stud. He's sometimes even going, like, as the maybe third RB, even, like, some people – I've occasionally probably even as the second RB off the board in Dynasty Leagues just because he's so young compared to mm-hmm. the guys up there. Uh, in redraft, which we mainly cover, he's going around the mid-tier RB1 range. Six, seven, eight is where you'll mm-hmm. see Jonathan Taylor. So he's a first-round guy, and he deserves to be there, in my opinion. The targets aren't necessarily going to be there, which worries some people. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I do think he can be a Nick Chubb kind of guy where he doesn't get the most targets, but he's just such an effective runner, one of the best pure runners in the entire league. And uh, so ah, I'd probably rather have Nick Chubb than Jonathan Taylor because we know that Nick Chubb is proven. He's proven more than just half a season of greatness at running the football, but Jonathan Taylor is not too far behind in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fair enough. And I mean, actually I'll, I'll even take that back. There might be a drop off because Chubb was actually better than people think last year. There might be a teardrop between Chubb and Taylor, but Shale, mm-hmm. Taylor is right in that seven range ahead of Ezekiel Elliott for me as of now, although I might swap that seven, eight yep. range. And yeah, he's going to be a stuck. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. The next guy on the list, I accidentally X'd out of the note sheet, but I remember it. It's David Montgomery, who kind of had the same situation as Jonathan Taylor. Only we didn't get to see one of those games where he proved it against a good defense because he didn't play any good defenses. In weeks nine through 16, David Montgomery was the running back five. I believe he finished as an RB1 in fantasy overall just because of his huge year. But I mean, not only the easy schedule, his, the easy schedule wasn't like the only thing. It was also his, uh, I mean, Tariq Cohen got hurt. His increase in catches was the other thing about it. And that's what the other thing that helped David Montgomery's stock really soar because he was getting targeted a lot more in the passing game. Now the Broncos, or not the Broncos, the Bears added Damian Williams. They get Cohen back. And so there's reason to worry about David Montgomery's target share. He actually only played six games in weeks nine through 16 and was the running back five, which is extremely impressive. And Mm -hmm. maybe he's going to be a bit of a value, but... I mean, to be honest, I just doubt it. I know some analysts are fading him to a mid-tier RB2 range, and I'd be fine taking him there. But I feel like just the amount – if we're talking more casual fantasy leagues, like, like non-analyst leagues, I feel like David Montgomery may go higher than he should. But he was just – he was electric in the last few weeks of the season. Just uh, it's not really sustainable because he played like all bottom five running back defenses. Yeah, definitely. And then, like you said, on top of that, Tariq Cohen, who's a really dynamic running back, they're going to definitely want to get him involved, and they should. He's really good with the balls and ball in his hands and uh, really elusive. So I think they're going to be looking to get him involved in that. That just means limited touches for David Montgomery. And like you said, Calvin, he was playing some of the worst defenses in the league uh, in that big stretch. I'm definitely sitting him kind of around that mid-range RB2 maybe. Actually – I'd say the I'd say I kind of put him around the higher end RB two right now. Yeah, it's fair. I think we haven't done our official rankings yet, so I'm just speculating mm-hmm. here. And we're actually, I mean, I think we're probably going to start working on those soon. Now that Chris is in summer, isn't and isn't as busy, and I'm my school year's winding down, we'll start mm-hmm. working on our rankings. And I know I've said that for like a couple of weeks now, 
I think we will actually try to start working on our rankings soon Mm -hmm. and we'll have rankings by the time your fantasy drafts come around. Yep. So, yeah, and uh, I actually realized Dave Montgomery was not the next guy on the running back note sheet, but it doesn't really matter. We'll just go back. J.K. Dobbins is the actual next guy on the note sheet. And J.K. Dobbins, he's probably, I mean, you can expect something sort of similar to what he did last year. He definitely had a lot of touchdowns in weeks 9 through 16, but he also, I mean, he, he he, he, he did have that touchdown streak. But he also was a very good runner. And also Lamar Jackson is just good at getting his team into the red zone in general. So, I mean, as we look, weeks 9 and 10 were actually really bad for Dobbins, which weighted him down to like the mid-tier RB2 range in actual finish. But week 11 against Tennessee, 16.5 fantasy. Oh, my gosh, it keeps going to standard. Uh, In week 11 versus Tennessee, 17.5 fantasy points. Week 12 didn't play against Pittsburgh. Week 13 against Dallas, 13.1. Week 14 against Cleveland, 13.3. Week 15 against Jacksonville, 14.6. Those are bad defenses. But then he played the Giants, who have an okay rushing defense, or they did. And then he got 13.7 fantasy points. So I'm not too worried about his schedule. I know J.K. Dobbins has the ability to be efficient because, I mean, in that offense, they have two main guys, Dobbins and Edwards. And when they run alongside Lamar, they're all able to be efficient. So, yeah, I'm... I mean, J.K. Dobbins, I'm excited about him for next year. I think he's going to be capped a little bit in terms of touchdown upside, touchdown upside, excuse me, because of Lamar in the red zone so much. But, I mean, we saw that he could still get some touchdowns. He's due for some regression from that. But overall, he's just a really, really good player. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was definitely better in the second half. Chris, what do you think about Dobbins? Yeah, definitely. Dobbins is really an interesting player because it's not often we see a 22-year-old running back with and in a I mean a, a young uh past he was a, what was he did he finish end up finishing top 12 uh he was like no he I don't think he was top 12 because of weeks those he was RB 18 because of weeks 10 and 11 and I think mm-hmm. nine or weeks wait no weeks nine and ten sorry but week, yeah week 11 um, was his first but I mean week. yeah so anyways the thing about him is he was definitely a solid RB2 for you last year right mm-hmm and, I mean, it's not often that we see an RB2 that's extremely talented at 22 years old have a cap ceiling. But that's really the the sad reality here with J.K. Dobbins. I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to be taking a lot of touches. Gus Edwards also going to be taking a lot of touches. They've now got some receivers that they're going to want to get involved. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they started using Marquise Brown as more of a gadget player. Just, again, more players to take touches and so all those things, they just it just makes me a little bit concerned because I know that Dobbins has the talent and he's really good pass catching, but I just feel like he's limited right now. I'm um, definitely a better dynasty pickup in my opinion than he is for uh for redraft. I'm not as confident taking him for redraft, but I mm-hmm. I like him for dynasty a little bit more. I just think that this year, especially, he's really captain, and until we see him totally clear out that running back room and take over from Gus Edwards and we see that his role is really defined and he's going to be getting 15 touches a game. I don't know if I can trust him that much. He's one of my players that I'm not really looking to grab this year and redraft. Yeah. I mean, I like Dobbins. I'm probably just going to fade him a little as well, because like you said, his upside's capped and people may be drafting him with the hope that he becomes a top 10 or top five RB when that's not mm-hmm. very likely. It's more yeah. likely with a guy like Antonio Gibson or Cam Akers or DeAndre Swift, or uh, obviously Jonathan Taylor, which is why I'd ha- like to have all those second year running backs over J.K. Dobbins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, next is Cam Akers. And, hmm, I mean, to be honest, I've said it before, 
Cam Akers may be a little bit overrated. And Cam Akers, truthers, don't want to hear that. He's a great player. He has the potential to break out next year. But the fact that I've said it before, the fact that he's in a tier of his own above guys like Antonio Gibson, above guys like uh, DeAndre Swift, above guys like, uh, I guess, not, I mean, he could be above CEH, but Gibson and Swift, mainly the two guys I'm saying that Cam Akers is a tier above these guys. When he's sort of in the same situation, he's in an offense, like all three of these guys are not Swift, but all three of these guys are in an offense with a good quarterback. But Swift has probably he he Swift has Jamal Williams in his offense as well. But Swift was also extremely efficient last year, and the coaching staff has talked him up into being a three-down back. I guess th- what I'm trying to say is they all have similar situations in the fact that they all have the ability to be three-down backs, and they I don't really expect. I think Cam Akers may have the highest touch upside out of all of these guys, but I don't know if I expect it to happen. Be- I think Antonio Gibson. He got trusted more as a workhorse last year before he got hurt. You saw the trust in the coaching staff. DeAndre Swift, obviously there's a new coaching staff, but they trust in him. Anthony Lynn is a smart coach. Dan Campbell, I think, is a smart coach as well, even with all the biting the kneecaps and stuff. I just don't see like why Cam Akers is significantly better than all these guys. I could understand having him as your top out of all of them, but when he's going ahead of them in every draft, doesn't make much sense. But – I mean, the re- you might be asking the reason people like Cam Akers, and it's because of a few weeks at the end of the season. Week 13, 22 touches, 15.9 fantasy points. Week 12, he actually had uh, nine touches, but 14.4. Week 14, he had 31 touches, 20.4 fantasy points per game. Week 15, uh, he had 16 touches, didn't play week 16. Week 17, he had 25. So that's a huge touch share. He got some catches, not a ton, but that just shows that Sean McVay kind of wants to use him like a Todd Gurley kind of player. He wasn't the most efficient with his touches, which is a little bit worrisome. Like he wasn't as efficient as some other guys, but then again, his uh, touch share was so high anyway that it kind of makes sense. So yeah, Chris, what do you think about, I think, I assume you like Cam Akers as well. I just don't. I I think I'm going to kind of have Cam Akers around ADP or maybe a little bit lower. I just, again, there's a lot of turnover going on in this offense. Like, I don't know. I mean, and I just didn't think he was as talented as a lot of people thought he was. Like, to be honest, he just wasn't that efficient. It seemed like he kind of had two big games. He had that one incredible 200-yard game where he played really well. But other than that, there were a lot of times when I questioned how talented Cam Akers really was. Not a player that I'm specifically going out and trying to grab in my league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with his price. It's just if you want that running back that has the upside to be a top-five guy, top eight guy I think Antonio Gibson and DeAndre Swift both have that upside and you can get them for cheaper especially DeAndre Swift because DeAndre Swift is one of the best dynasty by lows right now I'll probably even write about him in an article that I'm writing for pro sports x later this week where I'm writing about dynasty buys and um sells I guess by the time this podcast comes out it'll be released so if you go to prosportsx.com you can probably find it but dynasty buys at running back DeAndre Swift is a great one. They just added Jamal Williams. The coach, uh, Anthony Lynn, is talking up Jamal Williams already. And I mean, but I think we know DeAndre Swift is the guy. They've already talked up DeAndre Swift. They've said he has the tools to be a three down back. And I know, I mean, obviously they're going to talk up here for DeAndre Swift because he's scared because he has him on his dynasty team. He's no, very, no, I'm not. I'm actually, I am a little he's worried. He's been very, very, well, here's the thing, Calvin. Not many people are starting to fade DeAndre Swift all of a sudden because like, 
Well, they have to talk up their signing. No, people are fading DeAndre Swift. I've seen it all over the place. This isn't like straw man argument, which is actually, I mean, straw man arguments are the things I hate where like people just bring up something that are like, I can't believe people are saying this when they aren't. People are fading DeAndre Swift. Trust me, his ADP is going down. I know, but Calvin's been a big hyper of DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I know. And I still am because his price is cheaper than ever. I think there's a little bit of convincing himself that he's okay. No, there's no bias. No, there's no bias. Kevin, would you say that DeAndre's stock has been hurt by Jamal Williams, though? I wish we just had our startup draft later. Yeah, it's been hurt a little bit, for sure. But just a little bit. I'm just kind of mad that in our startup draft, I took him at the 107. I could have gotten him later if we did our startup draft later. But I love DeAndre Swift. I feel like he could. Like, his, his ceiling is paying me back for that spot, probably. But I'm fine with that. It's too late now. Can't yeah, my team is is where it's at. No, my no, my team is still good. It's not like I'm just like got fleeced with my team. I picked up some good players. But then you look at my team. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nice try. You've seen? Have you seen all my handcuffs that I picked up? <laughs> I made I'm, a bunch I'm, of moves. I have for... the ultimate handcuff team. Samaje P. Ryan, Devonte Booker, AJ Dillon, Jeff Wilson, and uh, don't remember the oh Daryl Williams. If I one have of those Jamal stuff. Williams, Marlon Mack, Rashad Penny, Chuba Hubbard. <laughs> this is such a stupid. My 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 handcuffs are better. I have Joe Mixon's handcuff and Saquon's handcuff. I have Christian McCaffrey's handcuff. And I picked Mac- you drafted them. And Christian I McCaffrey's just handcuff them off last. Waivers having for Christian McCaffrey's handcuff last year ended up being like a top twenty four. Okay, fine. RB6. You have CMC's handcuff and like Chris Carson's one of his handcuffs. And Jonathan Taylor's handcuff and DeAndre Swift's handcuff. Well, DeAndre Swift is a beast. He's not getting hurt. Handcuff, handcuff, handcuff. <laughs> okay, let's okay. move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, JD McKissick is the last guy we're talking about here. Surprisingly enough, he was actually the RB9 in fantasy from weeks 9 through 16. He played all eight games, so he's probably a little lower in points per game. But this was because, I mean, we saw when Antonio Gibson got hurt, JD McKissick was really quite solid. Weeks 15 through 16, um, Antonio Gibson was not 100%, and those were J.D. McKissick's two best games of the entire season. He had 21.2 fantasy points, 19.2 fantasy points in those games. And then weeks 9 through 14, he had 12.7, 14.4, 8.4, 3.7, 12.8, 9.6, just because he was also getting a ton of receptions. His target share, weeks 9 through 16, 14 targets, 15 targets, 4 targets, 2 targets, 10 targets, 4 targets, 10, 10, and then 8 in week 17, which was an absolute ton. And that's because mm-hmm. Washington was throwing to the running back more than any other team. And I expect that to go down a little bit, but with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but then, so I do expect like I'm JD McKissick's definitely a guy I'm fading. Cause I also expect Antonio Gibson's target share to go up because while JD McKissick is good, he's not like some sort of scrub. Antonio Gibson is better because he literally played wide receiver in college as well as running back. So I expect the receptions for Gibson to go um, to the reception share to go up. I should say for Antonio Gibson. And I don't know if there's going to be enough to go around for both of them like there was last year, but it makes me worry about McKissick's stock more than Gibson's. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to agree with you, with you there. All right. Wide receivers. Weeks 9 through 16, second half of the year. Mike Evans was the wide receiver six. He was an absolute stud. Played actually only seven games during that time span. That's incredible what he did. And that was after he developed a rapport with Tom Brady. He stopped having those games where he was one reception, one yard, one touchdown, two, two, two. He got a lot of touchdowns, but 
He also got his points in other ways. He picked up a lot more receptions. His reception total, 4, 6, 5, 3, 3, 6, 10 in those weeks. That's not a ton, but he also, again, he's a touchdown monster. He's an efficiency monster, picked up a lot of yards, and scored double-digit fantasy points in all of those weeks but two that he played. He actually didn't play week 13 because it was their bye. But in week 16 against Detroit, that was really the capper. 12 targets, 10 receptions, 181 yards, and two touchdowns, 35.1 fantasy points, and he showed really what he could do there. So he actually didn't – the funny thing is that he didn't actually struggle so much in the first half of the year because he got really lucky whenever he – he had a few good games, and then when he didn't, he got lucky with touchdowns and, like, would Mm -hmm. get one in a game where he had one catch. But, I mean, other than that, actually – I mean, I'm looking at the stats, and that's not – other than, like, a couple – that happened in a couple games. And then he just had a few games where he was getting yards. But I guess what I'm trying to say – is that he was sort of piecing it together. It didn't really feel consistent. And then in the second half, it felt a lot more consistent when he was getting more consistent targets from Tom Brady. And yeah, he's a monster. He's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the stat that people might not know, Mike Evans had his seventh straight 1,000-yard season to begin his career, which is the most in NFL history. He passed Randy Moss Mm -hmm. for the most 1,000-yard seasons consecutive to start a career because he barely got to 100 last year, or 1,000. I mean, you think Mike Evans is a future Hall of Famer? Mm, I think we're that's definitely still TBD. I think that he's going to ha- have to have at least two more good seasons to be in, in consideration. Definitely not yet for me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I feel like he's right on the edge. Like, if he can do this for a few, couple more years, he would – I mean, maybe not a couple, but I feel like he's on a path. If he stays on his tra- tra- trajectory, he is a Hall of Famer. It feels so weird. Mm, it feels weird to say, it. but I feel I need like it's a true. few huge seasons still to come. I mean, I feel I know he played with Jameis, but I feel like it, it it's and you know he played with Brady, but like he he has a great case. He is he broke a record. He broke Randy Moss's record. Mm-hmm. Right. Next up, Deontay Johnson. He played all eight games, weeks nine through sixteen. Actually, finished ahead of Mike Evans as the wide receiver five because Deontay Johnson. He struggled with drops, but he was being peppered with targets. From weeks 9 through 13, he had double-digit targets in every single game. Then he had 7, 13, 14 to end the year. That's incredible. People forget how good Deontay Johnson was. I'm fading him more in Dynasty because we don't know the quarterback situation. And I feel like the Steelers are not going to throw the ball as much as they did last year because they have Najee Harris now. But Deontay is the wide receiver I would absolutely rather have in this offense over Claypool, over overrated Juju. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, he's, he's going to be, he is a stud. And I mean, for fantasy rankings, he's definitely a wide receiver too, I would say uh, next year, probably maybe more on the back end because the wide, I do like a lot of wide receivers, but I mean, I think he gets into that tier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you there. He just needs to, uh, I'll be a little bit better with the drops, and he's definitely primed to have a good fantasy season. Young quarterback play is a little bit questionable, but he's definitely moving in the right direction. All right. Next guy is Marvin Jones, who signed with the um, Jacksonville Jaguars. Weeks 9 through 16, he was the wide receiver 12. And mainly when Kenny Galladay was out, Marvin Jones really showed that he can be the alpha in this offense without anyone else sort of supporting him or taking that lead alpha role. Juju can't do that. But, I mean, yeah, we saw he was a little bit inconsistent, but Marvin Jones got a consistent target share, and he had some really, really solid games, especially more Mm -hmm. in the middle of the season. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what he can do in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. He might be the top dog there. Him and DJ Chark are going to be competing for that role. Chenault too. Yeah, Chenault. But I don't think Chenault's going to be the one. But Mm. I mean, Marvin. I'm not as high on Marvin. I'm not as high on Marvin Jones. He's getting older. I mean, he's hit it. He's 30 now, so he's he's an older receiver. I think that they're going to be looking a little bit more to DJ Chark and Lavisca Chenault, the younger guys. So not super high on him, but um. Yeah, a really good season. He's a great red zone target. Right. All right. Next, uh, T.Y. Hilton. Seven games, 12.6 fantasy points per game in the second half of the season. Uh, I mean, this was sort of out of necessity for the Colts. He disappeared in the first half of the year. Mm-hmm. Then in the second half, he was definitely a lot better. Uh, he played a lot of – oh, man, his schedule was ridiculous. Weeks 12 through 15, uh, Tennessee, Houston, Las Vegas, Houston. He also played Pittsburgh in 16, but 9, 10, 11, Baltimore, Tennessee, Green Bay. Great schedule for T.Y. He took advantage, but he's not a guy you should be drafting as a one or a two or probably not even a three either. He's a good player who should be drafted, but he's not the same guy he used to be. So don't don't draft him at his wide receiver 18 second half finish. Mm-hmm. Or close. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you there. I just don't think he's that talented. He fell off a cliff at the beginning of the season, and it was really just more of a rebound. I mean, I had him around wide receiver 20, so in the second half of the season, he did what I think a lot of people thought he would end up doing, you know, the whole season, and he just wasn't able to put it all together. I don't think you should be expecting much from him. Always seems to let you down a little bit. Um, I wouldn't expect anything more than wide receiver 30. Mm-hmm. All right. The last guy on this list we can just skip, I think, Nelson Aguilar, who – did better in the second half, but he's got a lot of different targets surrounding him in the Patriots. Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, all those guys. And Cam Newton doesn't throw the ball that much. So Aguilar might be okay, but we don't really have to worry about him too much. Let's go to tight ends. Logan Thomas is the first guy we'll talk about. He was the tight end three last year out of necessity. I mean, Washington's offense was based on throwing the ball to the tight end and the running back very Mm -hmm. heavily. And when it started to pick up, Logan Thomas did pretty well. He averaged double-digit fantasy points, was a good player. I don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be dumping the ball off to the tight end as much, but I also think Ryan Fitzpatrick will be more efficient with his passing, and he'll definitely Mm -hmm. pick up more yards. So there'll be a bigger pie for guys to work with. And Logan Thomas, his ADP is like borderline tight end one, as I've seen it, borderline top 10. That's an incredible value based on the wasteland of tight ends that is there around him. So, yeah, Logan Thomas is a guy I'm definitely looking to draft in fantasy drafts. Pretty underrated, I think. Ron, I'm just looking at Travis Kelsey. Absolutely incredible. Average 20 fantasy points per game from weeks 9 through 16. Is that in full? Oh, no. It's in ha- oh, my gosh. Whoa. Wait, that's crazy. Jeez uh-huh. Louise. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Kelsey, first-round pick in fantasy. Yeah, definitely. I think so, too, in redraft. But, yeah, I mean, Logan Thomas, really talented. He found a really nice niche in that offense. And so I expect that to continue. Same coaching staff coming back up. And he's still a, definitely a young player, a young tight end. Really burst onto the scene. I think I'm going to expect some regression just because, yes, I don't, I don't think that they're going to be looking as much to – or Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to look as much to Logan Thomas because obviously Alex Smith was more of a check down guy. But I think that there's definitely some room to uh, finish as the top 10 fantasy tight end. And so I think I'm going to be definitely drafting him as a top eight fantasy tight end. Mm-hmm. Here's something I was genuinely shocked by more than like anything else so far that we've talked about. Mike Kosicki finishes the tight end four in fantasy from weeks nine through 16, only playing seven games. He was the tight end, or I guess the tight end four in points per game because Mark Andrews was ahead of him. But I mean, Mike Kosicki, he, I don't know. I mean, I didn't, 
didn't really seem like he was doing that well just because we were so worried about that offense with Tua. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wait. How did he average? To, oh, I'm looking at his standard fantasy points. Like, he actually got a lot of targets. He may have, may have been the one guy who benefited from Tua being there because Mike Kosicki was just that safe option that you could dump it down to. He had three mm-hmm. straight double-digit games, weeks 12, 13, 14. Um, got consistent amounts of targets, like four, five, 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 eleven, six, seven. So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy I might be drafting next year. I wasn't aware that he had actually been this good. I feel like his stock is going to be a little bit higher, though. And it's probably going to be a lot higher than a guy like Logan Thomas, mm-hmm. especially since the Dolphins added Will Fuller. I don't know if I'll be going for that. If it's like, I would rather probably get Logan Thomas at his price than Mike Kosicki. But Mike Kosicki is not definitely not a guy you should avoid. He's a talented player, and you got you got to just look for the talent at tight end because there's just not much of it in terms of pass catching and fantasy relevance that can be sustained year to year. So you got to go find it when it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I'm in agreement with you. He's a, a really solid tight end who who was able to, I mean, he kind of worked well with Tua Tagovailoa, and so I'm happy that that combination is coming back. All right. So that's the end of the episode. Thank you all for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter at SGFpod, at Calvin underscore SGF, at Chris underscore SGF. This was a fun episode, but Chris, I know you've got to get going. We had to do this because Chris now because Chris was busy, so I'm glad we were able to do it. So thank you for listening, everybody, and we will see you next time.